Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. So fun to see God working in the hearts of our sons and daughters, our nieces and nephews. If you're new to Connection Point, that is at the heart of what God has called us to do, to raise the strongest generation. Uh, We love our kids and our middle and high school students. We want to equip them for success in the world and for a relationship with God. So thank you, all of you who are part of that. Well, you've joined us for part four in a series called Jesus Follower. And really, we're learning what does it look like to follow Jesus? Um, We don't get saved that is made right with God. We don't achieve eternal life by doing things. We receive those when we repent and ask God to forgive our sins, when we believe that Jesus died on the cross for us. But after we receive that, God says we have a new identity and a whole new way of life, a better way of life, a life that is more free and more fulfilling. So that's what we're exploring in this series. What are those practices? What is the lifestyle of a Jesus follower so that each of us can look at ourselves and say, uh, am I doing that not to try to earn God's favor? I've already got that through Jesus, but am I doing that so that I know I'm living the life of freedom he has for me? Uh, Here's a good visual of this. Here's my son, Jack, on his Hendricks County Rec League soccer team. This is actually from four years ago. And what's really fun about this team is Jack, uh, many of his teammates, they've all played together for a number of years now, and I do want to give a little bit of parenting advice. I know we've got a lot of young families in our movement. Some of you uh, have little ones who will soon be playing rec league soccer. So let me just let you in on a little secret. There's a really cool thing. The final practice of the year, most of the coaches do it. It's a parent versus kid scrimmage. And uh, it's really, really fun at all the different age levels. And let me just give you a little advice. If you played sports in high school, you'll get out there and uh, you might limber up. Maybe you might pull a muscle every year. I see a couple parents pull some muscles. Um, And also, here's a little advice of what not to do. If you did play sports in high school, once you get warmed up, don't kick the ball really hard, like all the way from one end of the field to the other to impress all the kids. Uh, Because if you do, it might just be that while it's traveling, it nails one of the little kids in the face and knocks them over. Um, I might be speaking from experience on that from a few years ago. So go out there, don't try too hard, but also don't let the kids win, okay? We, We can't have an insurrection here. So check this out. On the left is Bart, Jack's coach. He does not change in height, but the rest of the team did. Uh, Let's go back again so you can see the difference. So there's Bart, awesome connection point dad, by the way, amazing coach. So Bart doesn't change in height. Look at the rest of them. I mean, that's four years how much they change in four years. Now, if you're a parent or grandparent, or uh, even if you just are in a place where you've got other kids that you love, um, you know that in our kids, we're not looking for perfection. We're just looking for them to grow. 
We're looking for them to find a healthy sense of identity and being part of a team and to grow. And I think as each of us, once we trust in Jesus, we get adopted into the family of God. We're his kids. It's easy for us to get down on ourselves when we're not doing a good enough job. And in a series like this where we're learning, okay, I'm, I'm praying, I'm surrendering, it can seem a little overwhelming, especially if you're a, a recent believer or, or maybe some of these things don't come as naturally to you and you just feel like, oh, I'm not doing a good enough job. And so to introduce a, a little bit of lightheartedness as we study this, I wanted to show you some bloopers of kids starting off in sports and messing up. And I'd invite you, feel free to laugh along, but also feel free to not take ourselves too seriously as we figure out what following Jesus is like. It's just about getting back up and continuing to do it. Go ahead and take a look. I love that last one. She was so excited that she made the goal and then she flips over on the ice. So I think that's a great image. That's a great visual because this is really the heart of God toward us. He wants to see us grow. All these things we're learning, they're not to be heavy burdens to make your life harder or more difficult. They're things that just like getting on a team around the other kids, you'll pick up as long as you're going to practice, so to speak, as long as you're getting out on the field, you will learn these and it will lead you to a much freer, fuller way of life. And so that's what God wants for you. Here's the question we're asking in this series. What are those lifestyle habits? Uh, if being a basketball player means you've got to learn to dribble and shoot and pass and rebound, four or five basic things, what are the four or five basic things that will become habits in my life if I'm actually growing? And, and what's great about simplifying this down to four or five is you can kind of know if I'm growing in these things and even if I'm having a bad day or I feel down on myself, I'm, I'm actually growing in following Jesus. Here's what we've learned so far. A lifestyle of surrender is the first and perhaps the most important because that's where our salvation begins. And maybe you're here today and you don't know for sure if you're right with God. You don't know for sure if your sins are forgiven. You don't know for sure if you were to die this week that you would be in heaven. You're hoping, you're thinking, maybe I've done enough good things. Surrender is when we believe what God says, which is none of us can earn our way to heaven. And when we believe that Jesus is God, he died on the cross for our sins and rose again. And the moment of salvation begins with a surrender that says, God, I can't do it, but you can. And so I, I turn to you. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe you died for me and you rose from the dead. Be my savior. And then as you follow Jesus, a lifestyle of surrender says, God, um, if you say to go this way and I feel like going this way, I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to obey you. And on the times when I mess up and I go my way, um, I'm going to stop 
and I'm going to turn around and then go back your way. It's not about perfection, but it is a mindset that says, I want to do what God says in my life. Next thing we learned from a phenomenal guest speaker, Kurt Harlow, was how to pray as a lifestyle, and that prayer is not this intimidating religious thing. It's not fancy words. It's not ancient language. It's not memorized churchy stuff. It is you talking to God as Jesus modeled. If you missed that message, it's a great message in this series. You can look at it on our website. Last week, we learned about seeking God's word. That because God loves us, he's given us a roadmap for the new life. And we sometimes call it the Bible. It's a collection of 66 books that God inspired. And when we don't know what to do with our desires or with our sexuality or with anything in life, we can look to God's word. And as a Jesus follower, we say, I'll do what the word of God says. The more you grow, just like a kid growing up in a sport, you will get more and more familiar with God's word and it'll become something that you're listening to or you're reading a little bit of every day, every week. But start where you're at. Well, what's the next one? If we're simplifying this down to just five total, so this is number four, next week will be the final one. Well, what's the next one? What's the next answer to this question? What will your life look like if you're really following Jesus? It'll look surrendered. It'll include prayer. It'll be a life where you're seeking God's word, especially when you have a major decision. What else? Not hundreds of things, not thousands, but just one more simple thing that will be true if I'm growing in Christ. We're going to find Jesus teaching us this in John chapter 13. And the setting, while Jesus answers this question, is actually the night before he dies on the cross and is crucified for the sins of the world. There was a Jewish feast called Passover going on. And in that time, Jesus knew that his hour, that means his time where he would die for the sins of the world, then raise from the dead, then go to heaven to prepare a place for us. He knew that the hour was near. So he loved his disciples. And we've learned that word disciple means his followers. He loves you as you follow him now. And now with those 12 who for three years, they had walked from town to town. They'd seen Jesus do miracles. They knew that he was God. He loved them to the very end. What does that look like we're about to see? But right before we look at it, I just want to uh, encourage you to think about a time in your life when um, you had to do a dirty job. For example, our little puppy, Sonny, this morning, on my way to church, pee greeted me again. If, if you've missed the series, a pee greeting is this puppy we've got that every time she comes up to me, she, she pees, and then she rolls over in it. And it was like an eight-foot-long trail this morning, right on my way out the door. So... If you ever have to do a dirty job like clean up after a puppy or something that you're, you get your hands in the mud, if you're wearing nicer clothes, you probably take off like your nice jacket or your nice shirt. And, and then once you're done, you wash your hands and you put your nice sweater or shirt or jacket back on. Well, Jesus is about to do this same thing. He had an outer robe on that was part of the culture. And verse 4, Jesus gets up from the table. He takes off this outer robe. He wraps a towel around his waist pours water in a basin. What's he doing? Well, the 12 disciples, they know exactly what he's doing because this was a, a very normal ritual in their culture, but it wasn't a ritual that a person of honor would do. It was a ritual that was reserved for the lowest of the servants. And here it is. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet. Now, I want you to actually think about this. Imagine 12 adult men come over to your house 
They're all kind enough to take off their shoes at the front door. They've got socks on because they're Americans, so let's just assume these 12 actually have socks on. They go into the living room, and you ask them to each take off their socks, and you get a basin of water. I mean, think about this. 12 adult men. There's going to be at least one fungus toe in there. Am I right? This would be gross even in our context where we wear shoes and socks and we walk on carpet and on paved roads. But in this culture, these guys are wearing open-toed sandals. They're walking on dirt roads that are shared with donkeys and with horses and with sheep and goats and livestock. And as a result, there's a mixture of dirt and animal feces and straw and hay and whatever else finds its way onto an ancient road. That's what's caked on these feet. And think about this, 12 men, if they each have 10 toes, that is 120 toenails, right? Like, I mean, the Bible's not boring. If you think about what it says, like, this is pretty gritty. This is pretty real. And here's this guy who says he's the God of the universe, and the disciples believe it. They've seen him heal people. They've seen him raise the dead. They've heard him say the most profound things they've ever heard. In his teaching, they've found fulfillment, joy, peace, freedom. They believe he's going to set up a new kingdom where he will rule and reign over every nation, not only from their present time, but from all of history. And now they're so confused because he's not just teaching them with words. He's showing them with his hands, here's the heart of God for you to wash the dirtiest parts of you. And can you just imagine the hands of Jesus, which are about to be crucified, holding that, you know, ancient, probably fairly rough towel, drying off the toes of Judas, who Jesus knows, those feet of Judas, who betrayed Jesus, they're about to carry him to where he's going to sell Jesus out for the price of a slave. And yet he's still washing even those Ten toes. After washing their feet, Jesus puts his outer robe on again. He sits down with them and he asks them, Do you understand what I was doing? And the reason Jesus asks this is because they don't. They're thinking, like, okay, this is weird. Jesus, I, I don't feel right. You're, you're so high and honored. I don't feel right about you washing my feet. And then they're thinking, like, is this a hygiene thing? Like, is he concerned that our feet are dirty? And Jesus knows time's running out, so he cuts to the chase. He says, let me explain the illustration. You call me teacher, which in that culture, this was a high term. This is more like rabbi, PhD, doctor, master, national expert, teacher. You call me Lord. It's the word for master, and it's actually the word for God. And Jesus says, you're right to do that. Jesus speaking says, that is who I am. I I am the most insightful teacher of all history because he's God, and I am God. You're correct. And since I, being those things, have washed your feet, then you ought to or you should do the same for each other. And his point wasn't literal that every time Christians get together, we should all take our shoes off. His point is a mindset, a way of life. Verse 15, I've given you an example to what? Follow. It's our series. 
following Jesus looks like this. And then he says, do action. Do as I have done to you. Now that you know these things, you know that serving others like this is part of the path to a life of fulfillment and freedom. God will bless you. Greek word includes the idea of happiness, the happy path of life, the blessed path of life is a life where you don't just know in your mind that following Jesus means serving others, but you're actually doing that with your life. Here's our big idea. It's the fourth lifestyle habit of a Jesus follower. It's serving others. Serving others, not from a place of shame or guilt or obligation or I've got to check this off my list or, you know, if I don't show up and serve, God will be mad at me. No, no, it's serving others with a heart that's serving God the Father. And that's just part of your lifestyle as you grow in following Jesus. So I wonder, how, how is that in your life right now on a scale of 1 to 10? How, how, how much would you say... The heart of a servant is showing up in your home, in your workplace, in the body of Christ. I want to revisit for a moment the humility of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And if you want to zoom out and think of stories in general, think of like the Cinderella story. You know, Cinderella, she doesn't have a dad and she's got these mean stepsisters and life gets like worse and worse. And then she meets Prince Charming and it goes up, right? Every story has these downs and these ups, well, this down, washing the disciples' feet, this is about the lowest thing that Jesus could do. And a few hours later, he's going to die on the cross. And while that was great agony, the reality is that is the pinnacle of all of the human story. I mean, literally our calendar year, it's 2022. You go back to year zero, that's when Jesus was born. Why? Because what he did on the cross so changed human history. What is the most known symbol in all of humanity? It's an ancient Roman torture device that modern people would know nothing about except that Jesus was crucified on one, a cross. You can't drive down a street without seeing one hanging from someone's rearview mirror or on someone's necklace or on a building. I mean, he, he goes from this low, low to this most magnificent thing that was ever done. Why does the cross matter so much? Because at the cross, Jesus fulfilled every desire that you and I have. He provided everything that was lacking from our parents and in ourselves and in the world around us. And before that greatness came this great humility. Jesus began to wash the disciples' feet. And then he said this, quote, I have given you an example to follow. Now, if you want to tease out a little more depth out of this passage Here's an insight that Jesus gives us. Serving in humble things that nobody else will do. None of those other 12 guys were going to get up and wash everyone's feet. When you serve with that kind of humility, not to be seen, not to be noticed, not to earn God's favor, but because you've received God's favor and you love him and others, when you serve doing things no one else will do, it prepares you. For the things in life, the great things that only you can do. And I, I hope you know that there are things that God has designed you to do that no one else in the world can do, that I can't do. Uh, there are things in, that God put in you that only you can accomplish and God designed you that way. But the path to that greatness leads through humility. 
God puts it this way in Ephesians 2.10. You might be, ah, say, John, I feel weird you talking about me being great. Isn't it about God's greatness? It is about God's greatness, 100%. But here's what God says about you if you've placed your faith in Jesus. He says that you and me, all of us who've trusted in Jesus, we are God's masterpiece. You're a masterpiece. I hope you know that when you look in the mirror, when you need some affirmation, when you need to know you're valuable, please don't look to TikTok or Instagram or to your net worth or your GPA or a degree on the wall or what does everyone in your family say about you to tell you what, what your value is. God has declared through Jesus that you are the most valuable thing of all creation, humanity, and that one of his chosen sons or daughters, you are now his masterpiece. Now, when I read the word masterpiece, I think of like the Mona Lisa painting hanging on a wall in a museum like the Louvre over in France. It's this like really expensive, beautiful thing that no one's allowed to get near or touch. But in Jesus' culture, a masterpiece was much more likely to have a, a, a function, a purpose, a, a really nice jug for carrying water, for example. A masterpiece would l- look beautiful, but it had a purpose. And God actually says this. He says, God who created you, if you've trusted in Jesus, you've been born again. So it's almost like you've been created. That's a unique word, anew, a second time, born again. The moment you trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, um, you were born again. And there's a purpose for you. It's so that you can do the good things that God planned for you long ago. So thousands of years ago, before your parents existed, God had a plan for you. He said, I'm going to make her a highly empathetic so she can help people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make him a leader. I'm going to make her a leader. I'm going to make that person a communicator. I'm going to give that person a heart. I'm going to weave in her a heart for kids with special needs. And kids that everyone else ignores and, 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 and walks past, I'm going to put it in her heart to love them and it'll show my glory and, and she'll be a masterpiece in that way. God has things for you that no one else can do. And doing those good things that God designed for you is actually the key to your destiny, your fulfillment, your purpose. When I think of functional masterpieces, that is a masterpiece that doesn't just sit and look pretty. Oh, it looks gorgeous, but it also does something. You know what I think of? I think of this. (laughs) Yes, I do. That is a Shelby Cobra Daytona Coupe. It's a thing of beauty, right? Even if you're not a car person, you're like, that is beautiful. That could sit in a museum. I mean, could you imagine if you had a house where like your front entryway, that was just right there? Man, that'd be awesome. It's beautiful just sitting there, but it, it does a lot more than sit there. It makes noises, <laughs> glorious noises. It moves. I mean, it's, it's a functional masterpiece. Think about this. In the sight of God, this is what he wants for you. He has saved you out of sin and slavery and darkness and and evil now for a purpose. And he wants to outfit you. He wants you to operate doing exceptional things that no one else can do by his definition, which usually has to do with helping other people. 
Now, I know we've got a lot of Ford people, and this is a Ford-powered car, and so some of the Chevy, the GM people are like, eh. So here you go, Chevy folks, okay? Another functional masterpiece, a 1963 split-window Corvette, also functional. I also know we've got some European car guys here, and so uh, here's a good example of a, a European functional masterpiece, Ferrari 250 GTO. Now, it's at this point in the message, some of you are saying, John, we know you're a car guy. Are you just totally indulging yourself by talking about cars? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> I totally am. <laughs> but I think there may be a slight point because do you notice how different those three cars are? Right? Each of those three that you just saw are truly beautiful masterpieces in form and in function. But they're each unique. Do you know that God sees you this way? He has uniquely wired you to do things that no one else in all of creation can do. And the pathway to discovering those things that only you can do actually starts with you being willing from a servant's heart to do some things that no one else will do. Now, I also know we've got some uh, Mopar, Chrysler, Dodge people in our church. And since I covered Ford, GM, and European, I was like, they're going to want a masterpiece too. And I started thinking, I'm like, I don't know. Is there such a thing? <laughs> there is. Here it is. Here's one example. Okay, so Mopar guys, you don't want to get the Hemi people and the Dodge Ram guys mad at you. So here's a Mopar example right from Indianapolis itself. Point is this. You will discover the masterpiece that God designed you to be when you do the good things that he's prepared for you. Where do you start? You start right where you are. Start in your home. Start in your career. Start in the body of Christ, the church where God has planted you. True greatness is always the result of humble, unseen service, just as Jesus modeled in that upper room when he's on his knees, muddy water dripping down his elbows, washing 120 toenails. True greatness is a process. Last car picture, I promise, but... You think of any one of those functional masterpieces, they were not the first, like, you know, the engineers put it together, that's the first one. Uh, they were tested, they were improved, places were replaced, uh, parts were replaced. Think about this, you want to achieve your greatness, you're going to be tested, you're going to be improved. There's going to be parts of your thinking that will have to be replaced where you get five years into loving God, reading his words, serving others, and you realize I still find so much of my identity in what my family says about me or in how I look instead of who I am in Christ. And you realize it and it's not a shameful thing. It's like, oh wow, there's a lot more freedom in life for me to continue to discover God. Replace that component of my thinking that I'd find my value in you. Well, what does humble service that leads to greatness, what does it look like? I think as I've suggested, you know, you might be a Ford, you might be a Chevy, you might be a Mopar. It might look a little different for different ones of us. In fact, it probably will. Well, let me show you one example of what true greatness in serving in humble ways, what it looks like right now, right here in our community. Go ahead and take a look. Katie Yan. I'm Brandon Yan. And I am currently at the Avon campus. I help with kids ministry, just kind of wherever I'm needed. And help set up kids ministry and same thing, anywhere I'm needed in there. 
I was a little bit more reserved at first. Uh, loved Brownsburg campus and, you know, we've got four kids, so they were plugged in. Was I wanting to move my family to a different church? Not really, but, you know, we were asked and we were like, hey, let's pray about it. It's a great opportunity to serve. And that was really my only fear was, like, how do we, what are the kids going to do? And I remember Brandon saying, like, this is like a chance for us to serve and, like, serve more in our community. And the kids, he's like, when we explain why we're doing this, the kids are going to be all in. And that's exactly how they've been. The kids either play or start to help. And it's just, it's just a, it's just a different environment where everyone's involved. And we understand the, the dynamics of every family. And we just kind of work together and make it work. My heart for serving started in the mission field. Started by doing trips to Mexico, Dominican, Haiti. You know, with four kids, it's a little bit more difficult to take off and go to a foreign country and do mission trips. So when, when we first started at Avon, that's what we talked about, how it, you know, is can be our mission field here. And My passion is in teaching kids, and um, I've had more of a hands-on approach at the Avon campus where I've been able to work side by side with the curriculum and meet with some ladies during the week to how can we make this you know age group better so that's been fun for me to be able to use it in a ministry setting but also use the skills that I you know got a degree in there's definitely mornings where you know you think oh, I don't want to wake up at 6 30 and you know for sure that happens and that's I think that's normal but um the relationships and getting to see those same people, it's fun. I mean, they, one of the guys that I do set up with, I mean, we hang out, we have a good time, talk about all kinds of stuff while we're setting up, catch up on our week, and uh, serve together, and makes it makes it fun. I didn't really see that on our family radar as far as, like, you know, in February, we were just going to move campuses, but um, I'm glad we made the plunge and we just you know, went for it because it's been really rewarding and awesome to meet new people and be able to serve together. So much more fun to be involved and I love the relationship aspect of it, how much you get to know people more that you're serving with and form those friendships and I would encourage anyone to step out of your comfort zone and do it and like I said, I think you get more, get more back a lot of times than, than you put in. It's a lot more time, but it's been really great in so many areas of our lives as far as, you know, setting, a, setting the stage for the kids of how we want them to be involved in the church and serve and um, just relationships and, and just being the people of the church, which is really critical. Yeah, it's a, that's a beautiful picture of what it looks like to serve right here, right now. You think of kids who grow up in a family like that, a family, I mean, they could be doing pretty much whatever they want on a weekend, and those kids know, not just by their parents' words, but by their parents' schedule and actions, our life isn't all about us. Part of following Jesus is serving others. And that Avon campus, I mean, humble beginning six months ago or so, we've already got five brand new believers who've come to Christ. We've got kids from families um, where they would not be going to church anywhere, and now they're hearing about Jesus every week. This is 
how movements begin. And I just know that God's going to continue to work there at Avon, and he's going to continue to work here at Brownsburg because there are thousands of you, like Brandon and Katie, who show up and say, I don't have it all figured out. Um, this might be totally diff- like beneath what my skill set is as a professional, but I'm willing to show up and I'm willing to get my hands dirty. Where's the need? Um, what's the opportunity? And I will lay down my life to serve others. Uh, by the way, super practical. If you're here and you're a dad and you've got elementary age kids and you're like, how do I do this? Let me just give you some life advice, totally separate from the Bible. Go serve with that guy and let him rub off on you, right? Like go sign up to serve at Avon and be with that guy once a week every morning. Ask him how he does marriage. Ask him how, how he balances kids' sports with church. If you're here and you're a mom and you've got kids around that age, I, I don't think you'd find a much better friend and mentor than, than Katie who you just saw. And the reality is we've got couples and individuals like that all throughout our ministry who volunteer taking care of our facility, mowing the grass as small group leaders for high school students, middle school small group leaders in our kids' environment here. And just like with soccer or any sport, you get around those other Jesus followers, you show up to practice week after week, you put in the time, you do it from a pure heart, and you'll look back and you'll see, wow, I'm really growing. I never thought I'd be this kind of husband, or I never thought I would... um, be this in love with God and fulfilled by God. Jesus invites us to follow him for our benefit. So if you're not yet serving anywhere, one easy way to get started, and you can just take a picture of this or you could text it right now, is to text that word serve. Uh, One of the beautiful things about what God's doing right now with the vision he's given us for our elementary, middle school, and high school kids is that we've got more kids engaged than ever before. I was talking this last week to some of our middle school small group leaders about the things that our sons and daughters are going through, just the things they're processing, the things they're being exposed to in this world. And the need is just so great for just stable, mature, Jesus-loving adults who will show up, be an additional voice to parents. Some of these kids, their parents don't go to church yet, you know? And, and just being there to listen and just give some sound advice and point back to Jesus. So many ways you can serve. Here's what we're learning, just worded a slightly different way. You'll find the greatness of what only you can do. We've covered that. There are great things that God has designed that only you can do. You will discover those things when you walk on the path of humbly serving, often in the things that no one else will do. Uh, I've got an example that I hesitate to use, but I think it, it, it really nails this for, for my life. And it's not about me, but it's about the reality of this journey. I was with my daughter Zoe, who's 10, on a date night recently, and I asked her, what do you want to do for date night? She had about five things. We had time to do two or three. One of them was to go to the Barnes & Noble bookstore because she wanted to get the next book in a series that she's reading through. So we went into Barnes & Noble, and I did something that I had never done with Zoe before because I think she's old enough now that she's appreciating books to maybe get it. I took her over to a section um, where some of the books that I've written are, And I told her, Zoe, when I was in high school and in college, and before I had really fully given my life to Jesus, my life dream as a nerd was to write a book and be able to walk into a Barnes and Noble and like, there's my book on the shelf. That was my life dream. 
and I was a professional writer. And then Jesus got a hold of my life, and I gave my heart to him, and a little church of 40 people asked me to come be their pastor, and I knew if I go do that, my writing dreams will probably just, I don't know how they would work. And so I died to that. I literally just let that go. And said, God, I know that following you and serving people, which is the most, the greatest thing anyone can do, this is your path for my life. You're calling me to this little group of 40. If I never write again, that's okay. And I truly died to that and thought, "I'll, I'll never write a book, and that's fine. And then God brought it full circle, not with books that are about the stuff I thought I'd write about when I was in high school or college, but books that actually help people. And I wanted Zoe to see her dad's name in there and for her to know as a 10-year-old, when you follow Jesus and you do what he's called you to do, it leads to greater things than you dream up on your own and it leads you to the things that only you can do. And what I want you to know is God has things for you. Having a book that's in Barnes & Noble isn't any more glorious than what God has called you to do. I think of our volunteers right now in our Lighthouse ministry, which is our special needs ministry for kids. And there are men and women in our church who God, the greatness he's wired into them is to be able to look those kids in the eyes and connect with them in in a way that many of us can't. That is true greatness. And so so don't hear in my story what the thing was because we're all different. We're, We're Chevys and Fords and Mopars, right? We're each different, but God does have great things for you. I don't want you to leave here and and think like serving is just about humility. It starts with humility, and then it attaches you to the greatest feat of all human history, the redemption of all humanity that Jesus accomplished on the cross. And when you say, I will serve where Jesus calls me, how Jesus calls me, then by God's definition, not earthly definitions, you attach yourself to true greatness. God so loved the world that he gave. One of the most well-known verses of our time. God so loved the world that he gave. Gave what? Himself. That's the beauty of serving. That's why I think it's in the top five of the lifestyle habits of a Jesus follower is, is that when you actually give yourself, something spiritual happens. What are you giving yourself to? A, a travel sports coach's expectations? a boss, a net worth, a retirement goal. Like, what are you truly giving yourself to? That's what you worship. And I'm not saying you can't have retirement goals and work hard for your boss and be great at sports. You absolutely can do those things. But if you want your maximum life through Jesus, give yourself away like Jesus did, and it will lead you to things that you'd never otherwise discover. And you'll look back and you'll say, wow, That was something that of all humanity, only I could do. And that's not a proud thing to say. It's an accurate thing to say. And I got there by following Jesus. And Lord, keep me humble and keep me following you so that I can continue to serve others and help others. Romans 12 describes what this looks like when a bunch of us do this together. God's got a master plan. And we all fit together when we each do that. Just as our bodies have many parts... You got eyes and eyelids and toenails and all the other parts. Each part has a special function. And God makes this metaphor that the church isn't the building, it's the people. But the church, get this, is the people when we're together. And each of us has a different function. So it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. 
I mean, think about that. If someone in the body said this week, I'm not going to show up and do my part, the rest of the body would suffer as a result. I'm going to skip ahead to verse 6 of this chapter, and it says this, In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So you have a gift that I don't have. And you have a gift that people sitting around you don't have. And the gift is for you to use to help the others. Because serving people is the greatest thing that you can do. And serving people God's way is the way that guarantees the greatest results. So if God's given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. And this is the first in a little list. It's not a complete or comprehensive list. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. You're going to see a pattern here. Whatever your gift is, whatever burdens you, whatever excites you, do it well. If you're a teacher, teach well. You know, give the best that you can give. If your gift is to encourage others, then be encouraging. If your gift is giving, give generously. That's actually, giving is a spiritual gift. We're all called to give something. When we give something back from our income, that's an act of worship and it helps us love God more. But there are certain people where God gives them way more than they need. And their spiritual gift, you'll, you'll probably never see them on a stage. You might not even see them holding the front door. But they're keeping lights on. They're, they're funding facilities. They're doing their work just like an internal organ that's unseen, but way more important than what you do see. If God's given you leadership ability. And by the way, if you're a mom or a dad, you're a leader. If you're leading in our kids' ministry in middle school and high school, if you're leading an adult small group, take the responsibility seriously. So, Jesus follower, how are you doing so far? Here's what we've learned. I'm living a life where I'm surrendered to God. I'm praying. It's not religious. No one else might ever hear it, but I'm talking to God about the stuff going on in my life. When I have a decision to make, I look to his word to say, Lord, you show me what to do with this desire. Show me what to do with my ambition. Show me what to do with my fear, with my anxiety. God, you show me what to do with my sexuality. Every desire, every need I have, I'm going to look to you. And then I'm going to live a life where my mindset is I'm serving others. And while that's true in my work and in my home, there is some measurable way that is fairly consistent that I'm actually serving in a local church, in the body of Christ, whether that's through giving or some other gift. Now, you look at all four of those in a row, and especially if you just jumped in with us on the series, it can seem like, wow, that's a lot. That's intimidating. And where I want to encourage you, if you missed any of this in the first three weeks, is just this is what you were created to do. And the goal isn't perfection. The goal is direction. That you just say, God, I want to do these things because I want to be who you've created me to be. And what will happen if you do? What we showed you before. You might start there. You get around the other kids. You keep showing up to practice. And after a few years, you'll be there. And you'll look back and you'll say, I never, never saw myself as this kind of husband or dad. I can't believe, I mean, the family pattern where, you know, verbal abuse or addiction or whatever else, like that's totally being broken by my generation and my family link, family system. Why? Because you showed up around the other kids of God. I want to show you a, a video clip that we'll end with. And the point is this, I want you to think on the fulfillment of serving others. 
This is from an old movie called Father of the Bride 2. But before it shows, I just want you to think of this. When you, when you show up and serve others from a heart that is for their good and not for your gain, they will grow and over time you'll look back and it will be the most fulfilling thing you do. You serve kids in Kid City or middle school or high school, you journey with them. Eventually, they graduate from college, they have kids. You're at their wedding. You're there for their kids' birthday parties. At your celebration of life, when God calls you home to heaven, these are the people who show up, not because they have to, but because they're like, she changed my life. He changed my life. He showed me God's love. She showed me God's love. The fulfillment of serving others. Way more fulfilling than getting toys. And, and I love cars. I've worked with a lot of cars throughout, especially when I was in my journalism career. That stuff's fun and it's not wrong. But true fulfillment, true greatness is found in serving others and seeing them develop. The growth that you'll see in yourself as you do these basics. And so I, I want to set you up. Think about the fulfillment you receive, but then think about God the Father looking down at you. You're his son or his daughter. He loves you. He's not expecting you to be perfect, but he wants to see you grow for your good. Think on that while we take a look. How many times do you think we played out here? About a thousand. I remember our very first game. Me too. I remember you were four. You had a red ribbon tied in your hair. I'm not crying, you're crying. <laughs> I know some of the teenagers in the room are like, that was the corniest thing I've ever seen. And just wait till you have kids. It'll turn from corny to real moving. But then he began to wash the disciples' feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I've done. Now that you know these things, God will bless you when you actually go and do them. Father, thank you that your love is not just a love with words, but a love with action. You laid down your life, you humbled yourself far below what we could really understand. 
God, I pray for every dad and husband in this room. Would you make us Christ-like servants in our homes? I pray for every wife and mom, Lord. They serve so faithfully. Would you stir up in their heart this motive of loving you and doing it from love, not from obligation? Lord, in this church are many gifts. People sitting here who could show up week after week and live a pretty good life, but miss out on the true greatness for which you've created them, things that no one else can do. And Lord, I pray in our body that you'd fan into flame the gifts of the people, that people would find, that my brothers and sisters would find fulfillment and joy and purpose, that they'd be racing around the track, that they'd be doing what only they can do. So show us this week, Lord, the things that no one else will do. Make each of us um, obedient to just serve where we can right here, right now in this church. And as you grow it and grow us, that'll probably change. But Jesus, we want to follow you with a servant's heart. Put that in us, we pray in your name. Amen. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that and you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us and please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.